This ticker podcast is brought to you by Broadridge Financial Solutions. You're listening to the Ticker Podcast from IR Magazine, a roundup of this week's leading stories and industry comment from the world of investor relations. Here's your host, Jeff Cassette. Hi, everybody. Joe Biden's nomination of Gary Gensler to head up the SEC has some people asking whether the move signals a new era in ESG disclosure. My guest today is sure of it. Joe Vacari is Broadridge Financial Solutions ESG practice lead, and he says Gensler's track record and Biden's priorities suggest ESG disclosure will at least come under greater scrutiny and potentially even regulatory mandate. On this ticker podcast, Joe Vacari on the big changes in store for the ESG reporting ecosystem and what companies can do to prepare. That's coming up next. But first, here's this week's IR News Update. Climate data continues to grow in importance for asset owners. But a new MSCI survey finds larger institutions are well ahead of their smaller counterparts in its use. The poll finds about half of institutions with more than $200 billion in assets regularly use climate information to manage risk and identify new investment opportunities. In contrast, institutions with under $25 billion worth of assets are about four times less likely to use climate data for either purpose. The number of Canadian companies publishing ESG or sustainability reports has doubled since 2016. A new study by Milani shows more than two-thirds of S&P TSX composite index firms published a 2019 ESG or sustainability report. The survey finds the Global Reporting Initiative is the most popular reporting framework. Investors are feeling more confident about a recovery. The latest Bank of America Merrill Lynch Global Fund Manager survey finds the majority of bullish investors now want companies to start using cash flow to invest in the business rather than strengthen their balance sheet. This is the first time since the onset of the COVID-19 crisis that investors have not prioritized balance sheet improvements. And finally, there's been a substantial dip in global IR budgets. That's one data nugget uncovered in the latest IR Magazine Global Investor Relations Practice Report. The 2020 edition tracks all sorts of things about how IR teams operate around the world. It's just been published. And joining us is Garnet Roach to drill a bit deeper in this first installment of Garnet's IR Magazine Research Rockpile. Let's find out what she's dug up for us this month. As companies responded to the COVID-19 pandemic, it's unsurprisingly been a year of cuts across the board. So the average budget, for example, which excludes staff costs in our research, has dropped by 16% to 329,000. Budgets have fallen at every cap size, but the biggest drop has been among mid-cap companies, where they've shrunk by almost a quarter since 2019. Despite that fall in resources, team sizes have remained broadly unchanged over the last 12 months and there's actually been a slight increase and 
globally, the average is now just under three IROs per company. You know, here in the editorial team at IR Magazine, we obviously spend a lot of time talking to different people about these kinds of topics. So we talk with brokers, we talk with analysts, we talk with investor relations professionals. And, you know, obviously this past year, we've been talking a lot about travel. We've been talking about meetings and roadshows. And there's really a consensus that budgets especially when it comes to these sorts of events, are quite unlikely to jump straight back to pre-pandemic levels once we can travel again. Basically, we've, we've all learned that these things can be done virtually, and so now there isn't really the same justification to spend that sort of money to travel that there was before. And talking of meetings, I mean, these have also taken a big hit, with the global average dropping to just 123 one-on-ones last year, and that's down from 188 in 2019 and 204 five years ago. Even as those meetings fell away, senior management involvement remained largely unchanged at around 45% globally. And that shows really that the the big cuts have been made to IR-only investor meetings, which is not surprising, again. um, You know, management no doubt wanted to be on as many calls and videos with investors as possible as the pandemic continued its hold on companies. report is available to IR Magazine advanced subscribers. Less advanced listeners can download a free sample at irmagazine.com. So it's, just, it's, a, it's a consulting service. Yeah. So we help corporate issuers with understanding and what an ESG program is. We, we do benchmarking for them against uh, peers so, you've got all sorts of SASB-friendly disclosure programs set up, but you still get lousy ESG ratings. Do you wonder if investors really care that employees get access to a recycling bin? I mean, if nobody is making you do ESG disclosure yet, why start now? Broadridge Financial Solutions has a brand new ESG advisory service meant to answer questions just like those. Joseph Vicari is the man to see about it, and we'll jump in from there. Success. We help them with the governance aspects, uh, ensuring that they understand that shareholders are looking for oversight of ESG. So we encourage them to have a board committee have ESG uh, in their charter as an oversight, uh, and that they set up a group within the organization to report into that board uh, committee on some cadence. We uh, actually help them uh, write a ESG sustainability report. Uh, we have designers to help them uh, if they want our design services to de- actually design that report. Uh, we give them guidance on um, what data should be in there, the frequency of the update, uh, how to present it in a way that the rating agencies are looking for it, for the, uh, how to present it the way investors are looking to see it. Um, so that it has the most effect. Okay. Uh, I want to follow up a bit on your work with ESG rating agencies. Um, In our last podcast, I spoke with Patrick Mitchell. He's uh, also a consultant. He's in the UK. And he basically said rating agencies were just so confusing, they were putting themselves out of business. Uh, He pointed to Tesla 
great, according to one rating agency, lousy for for another. So, so in fact, he suggested that that companies shouldn't even design uh, an ESG strategy with rating agencies really in mind. Um, maybe you have a different opinion. I'm curious. Well, you can't ignore them. Uh, so ISS is Sustainalytics that feeds into Glass-Lewis or feeding into the vote agents for proxy. And they're the, you know, proxy, uh, the, the those in, responsible for it are looking at ESG. They're looking at that governance piece that I mentioned to make sure that there's that oversight uh, at the board level. But you're exactly right. Uh, confusing, uh, irregular. Uh, they're at, they seem to be at times uh, reviewing different companies and, and yet they're the same company uh, because it's the Wild West right now, right? There's no regulatory requirements. Uh, there's no standardization. There's, you know, uh, there's, there's no governing body uh, right now. Uh, you know, some are trying to, to take that lead. So SASB is uh, a good example of that. Uh, and they're, they're joint forces with others in trying to create that, that standard, but it, it's not sanctioned by a, a real authority. And so companies may follow it, may not follow it. Um, I think you see uh, large asset managers like BlackRock trying to push these standards. And why are they doing that? Because, because of exactly what you said, they want the data to be normalized and usable in a, in a manner in which it feeds into their operations, their modeling, their portfolio construction, right? Mm. Um, and so, but until, until there's more uh, standardization and there's more um, of a, you know, whether it comes with regula- regulatory changes or not, you know, if there was an entity that came up with true standards that was accepted across the board, uh, I think you're going to find those uh, those issues that uh, will will continue. So until then, uh, until that golden moment when things get straightened out, um, standardized, uh, and I want to get to the Biden administration and and their plans. Um, but now you've got companies, maybe like Tesla, who do think uh, they're progressive, who they've got all sorts of ESG ducks in a row and they still get lousy or or maybe inconsistent ESG ratings. Um, what do they do? Uh, any thoughts on that? Sure. There, there could be any number of reasons for uh, companies not getting their credit or their recognition for, for their ESG efforts. Uh, they may feel like they're doing uh, great things, uh, but really it's being overlooked. Um, often we see that uh, companies, they They do have good programs in place, uh, but maybe they haven't instituted a governance structure around it. Uh, Maybe they haven't uh, identified a board committee to oversee it. Maybe there's no metrics that they've uh, designed to monitor their progress over over time. Uh, Perhaps there there were goals set. You know, simply adding that committee uh, very frequently, you know, it's either non-gov or the audit, that oversight responsibility, companies see a, a, a significant drop jump in their ESG scores uh, because that's what investors are looking for. They're looking, those are their representatives and they want to make sure that there's that that level of, of oversight um, by, by the board. Another uh, reason very often uh, is that uh, 
companies, they make qualified statements and they think that that's an ESG program and that, that they've checked the box. Uh, they put out that, you know, we believe in uh, a diversified organization. We dis- believe in uh, pay equality. We, uh, we, we protect the environment in our operations. Well, that's all great, but prove it to me. You know, show me how you're doing that. Uh, show me what your progress has been over time. Because uh, it's not enough to say good things. You have to do good things. Uh, and so that's what these rating agencies are, are looking for. That's what investors are looking for. And quite frankly, that's uh, what the, the company should be looking for, for their own uh, benefit. You know, ESG, you know, people have very various views and, and um, predefined uh, perhaps biases around it. But really, ESG is all about uh, mitigating risk and identifying opportunities. And, and you do that for sustainable financial performance. And isn't that what it's all about? Isn't that what investors are looking for? Isn't that what companies are looking for uh, over time? Isn't that why they exist? This whole uh, ESG thing isn't going to blow over soon, you figure? No, I, I think that uh, there's a number of reasons. Um, that, you know, we saw that with the, uh, the pandemic, uh, that there was a view that this would go away. The anticipation was that was going to be the death knell for ESG, and it was the exact opposite, right? Uh, we saw a huge uh, increase in attention around that, that stepchild S, that social aspect. You know, there was so much focus on the environment, uh, governance uh, focus was for many years, but the S was that stepchild, and it rose to the forefront. Um, why? Uh, because it was all about uh, supply chain maintenance, uh, um, managing the supply chain. It was all about the care and feeding and safety of, of employees and workers. Uh, it was all about um, uh, understanding how the S affected your business and how it could be shattered by an outside event. And were companies ready? And that's what investors were looking for. And we found that those that had programs in place that had uh, identified risks and oversights, uh, they performed better. Uh, so while we had a bear market in uh, around March of uh, 2020 and stock market did <laughs> take a big hit, those that had, had programs didn't take such a, a bad hit as others. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the pandemic sort of uh, accelerated uh, things, things for sure. But, you know, and, and this has come up <laughs> before in, in other conversations. Um, I sometimes get the impression that boards and even IR people, and, and you meet them all the time, um, but, but maybe they're not really up on the curve on this. Uh, they're still at the point where they're saying, you know, no, we don't get any questions on, you know, quarterly calls about analysts uh, asking ESG questions. Um, And and yet on the other side, you have news reports that say it's all ESG. There's nothing but ESG. (laughs) ESG is being integrated into the investment thesis and so on and so forth. Um, Yeah, so uh, I I agree with you. That's exactly what we're encountering, that uh, companies are are – turning to us and saying, well, why what, should I be interested in this? Uh, I'm not uh, getting uh, any questions or very many questions. 
Um, it's not coming up, as you said, on, on uh, analyst calls. Why, why should I care? And, you know, quite frankly, it, I, a part of that goes back to the fact that uh, there's no standard regulatory requirement around reporting mm-hmm. and that it's taken time for uh, asset managers and, and others to work their way down the, the hierarchy of companies, right? Start, they started with the S&P 500 and you see wide acceptance and wide disclosure uh, at that at that level, and and you you kind of see over time the the I'll call it the trickle down uh, that more and more companies are getting um, that call. They're getting uh, the phone call from their largest of of investors, be it a BlackRock, a State Street, a Vanguard, FMR, saying, "Well, we want to talk to you about your ESG program," and they're like, "What? <laughs> Where?" Why? Where have you been, and why is it coming up now? Well, it's coming up now because they've. They, it takes time to to move down that that list because this is a process. It's not uh, data today. It's not something that's filed like a 10Q, where there are you know means of extracting this and uh, in, you know creating databases and creating analytics around it. Uh, this is more of a, of a process of reading, believe it or not. You know, people still have to do that. Uh, yes, they're using AI tools, but you still have to break down this this data. And uh, what what the mid cap and small cap companies are finding is that um, suddenly, uh, and it feels like overnight, uh, ESG is no longer an option. It's a half to half, and many of them are confronted by and perplexed by certain aspects of it. Uh, some companies um, may say, well, I'm, I, I get the G governance, been around for a long time. I get all that, the aspects of that. The S, yeah, okay, I can, I can understand that. The, the, my employees, the care and feeding of my employees, uh, quality, diversity, uh, community um, programs. But I'm not in manufacturing. I'm in, I don't know, healthcare technology. I'm, I'm in banking. You know, where does the E come in? Uh, I don't have huge emissions. I don't produce very much waste. Um, why should I care about the environmental aspects of it? Uh, yeah, I'll put in some. Do actually care about whether I recycle my paper or, or not? Or and, they, and, and, and they don't. No, they don't. Okay. <laughs> but, 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 but you know, let's let's look at a bank because uh, uh, I think it's a great example. So you know, banks typically have a low impact on the environment from their their corporations, but uh, banks affect the environment uh, through their lending practices, through their lending portfolios, right? So there, and and those portfolios themselves, depending upon who you're lending to, may have environmental risks for the bank because if those risks are are affecting you, the borrowers, uh, ultimately they affect your portfolio. Um, and so, uh, you know, that's part of our, um, our ESG practice to help issuers get an understanding to think more broadly than their own, their own offices, their own facilities, their own people, and think more broadly a- around what they're providing and who they're interacting with across uh, their operations, across their client lists across their supply chain. But, uh, you know, others um, that, uh, that that come to mind are, are, uh, are technology companies. Uh, and so I, I mentioned supply chain a few times, uh, and that's where um, 
not paying attention to environmental factors of where you source your materials, where you source your technology uh, can come back and, and really affect you uh, negatively. So as I mentioned earlier, ESG is all about identifying and mitigating risks and identifying and leveraging opportunities. Um, and so, you know, that, that goes across your operation and across your, your supply chain and across your, your holistically across your business. So how does, how does, uh, the new administration, their initiatives, um, especially on the environmental side, but on the S side too, uh, going to affect things. Um, and, and, and I don't, I don't know what you're hearing, but maybe companies would like to see certain, have some influence on that. Um, do they have any, you know, input on the, on the decision-making pro- process? Well, you know, I like to, in my own mind, I say, uh, you know, sit on the sidelines uh, at your own peril um, because, uh, you know, when change does come, uh, you're going to find yourself a bit flat-footed uh, and scrambling to to implement and execute on an on ESG program. Yeah, so, in, you know, what the indications that we're seeing with the new administration in Washington, uh, with some of the nominations that are, have been put into place, uh, most notably with uh, Gary Gensler, President Biden's uh, nominee for SEC chair. Gensler, uh, his background, he served uh, previously as, a, as the chair of the Commodity Future Trading Commission, as well as uh, he was on the, the Maryland Financial Protection Committee. And he, he shows a track record of being focused on consumer and investor uh, protections. Right. And a track record of believing that ESG disclosures has a place in those protections. Um, and so, you know, the, the winds of change seem to be in the air. <laughs> they also um, created an a, uh, a, uh, ESG advisory committee excuse me, office uh, at the SEC. Uh, and so you combine that with, uh, during the campaign, um, uh, at the time, President uh, Biden was um, now President Biden was uh, articulating um, his beliefs around climate change and the impact of society and business on climate change. You combine that with some of these nominations and other uh, elements that are uh, coming out of Washington today, and you, my, the belief is that the handwriting is on the wall for new regulations. Now, companies, believe it or not, many companies are, I wouldn't say anxious for this, but are a bit happy if some regulation does come into play. Because today, they're, they don't know what to do. And, you know, going back to our earlier conversation, right? There's no standard. There's no disclosure requirements. And, and, and they're being confronted by these rating agencies. Everybody wants information, and they want it in their way, they want to meet with these with uh, IR folks and others at uh, in the company to talk about ESG matters. Some want surveys completed and filled out, uh, which are very time-consuming, onerous, and costly. They, the feeling is that if there was some sort of requirement that everybody had to adhere to and comply with on a regular cadence, that it would actually simplify things, and that it would put everybody on the same level playing field. Your example of Tesla is a good example of that. 
where they get a good rating with one rating agency and a bad one with another. And quite frankly, I think that the large asset managers would, would embrace this also because they're looking for normalized data, if you will, data that can go into databases, data that can go into models and algorithms for their uh, portfolio construction and asset allocation. So everybody, I think, you know, you know, there's this there's love-hate component to, to regulatory change. <laughs> What's the time frame we're looking at? Usually they, they, they kind of put out a uh, request for comment or something. Yeah, it could be, that, that, it could be years from now. hundred percent true. Yes. But still, it's like, like we were saying, it's best to prepare, right? What, what are you telling companies about that? Well, we're seeing that uh, uh, with the, the large asset managers, uh, you know, they're BlackRock being the most, uh, famous of them because of Larry Fink's letter going out to uh, all the companies, all the CEOs um, every year in the past two years, essentially uh, indicating that ESG matters are a part of their uh, investment decision-making, uh, that it's no longer an option and that they are not only going to uh, hold companies accountable, they're going to hold them accountable by uh, through proxy voting. And so I, I think that uh, ignoring ESG is no longer an option, um, that every company, whether you're large cap, mid cap, small cap, if you want to play in the capital market, if you need the capital markets, if you want to continue to exist in the capital markets, you can't ignore this. Um, it's, it's here. It appears to be here to stay. You know, there are, there are <laughs> some of these things do uh, fade away over time. This one appears to be have some stickiness. And that's your ticker podcast. My thanks to Broadridge Financial's Joe Vicari. And a quick reminder, the IR Magazine Awards US 2021 is coming up on Thursday, March 25th at 4 p.m. Eastern. It's a virtual awards ceremony. We've got a fantastic evening planned and, and hey, it's free. Register now at irmagazine.com. See you there, and thanks for listening. In Montreal, I'm Jeff Cassette. Ladies and gentlemen, make your way to the couch. The award ceremony is about to begin.